I have something so interesting, so unique. If today is the day that you have chosen to come to church, and normally you wouldn't be here, this was the best day you could have ever came in your whole life. If you always come and this is a part of your church family, I want you to know that there is not a better time than you to be a part of this church than right now. I want everybody to get in a position they can see me. I see some right here with the wall right here. You can't see me with that. I want everybody to be able to see me. I want everybody's eyes. So if you're blocked, yes, scoot a little bit this way. Thank you. Everybody, I want to make eye contact with all of you this morning. Because I have something really special on my heart that I want to share with you. And I just feel that God put this on my heart for a very specific reason. And I love this church and I love this season. And we are growing and growing and growing. I mean, the the growth is just phenomenal. God is doing so much this month in both the youth and adult ministry. We've grown more than ever before. God is just growing. He's just doing it. And, and all we need to do is hold on for the ride. All we need to do is hold on for the ride. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Do what God called you to do, and we're going to make a difference. But there's been this nagging at my heart. There's been this just nag at my heart. And I, it's been the Holy Spirit. It's not a bad nag. It, it's not like it was in, in the wrong spirit, but it's the right spirit. The Holy Spirit has really been speaking to me about our passion for evangelism our passion to actually go out and share the message of Jesus Christ with other people, to, to preach, to do what Jesus did. I think if there's any mark of a Christian, it should be that they evangelize. Like if there's any determining factor that somebody looks at Charles and they would say, hey, I know Charles is a Christian because he is blank, I think it's that he goes out and preaches because how else would they know that he's a Christian? You know, they might be able to know he's a Christian by he, I, he wears his I love Jesus button. But, you know, he could just be wearing that to be cute because he looks good with the button. Amen? And he's a handsome man. Somebody could, say, <laughs> somebody could say, oh, well, I think so-and-so loves Jesus, you know, because they have a little fish on the back of their car. Right? But does that really mean they love Jesus? Let me ask you a question. If you see somebody, not everybody, of course, standing out in corners waving the Bible loves Jesus either. I've seen, I've seen a couple of people that were crazy that did that as well. Amen? Anybody ever seen a couple of Fruit Loops waving Bibles around and they uh, weren't quite all there together? I've seen a couple of those. There was a guy in New Orleans. He used to have a little hat that had an umbrella on it. And then he would uh, be scantily clothed. And uh, he'd be wearing kind of not a lot of clothes. And then he would have a little speaker that he wore around himself and a microphone. And he'd be telling everybody at the bus station about Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not <laughs> thinking that that means he loves Jesus either. But... For the most part, people who go out and preach to others really must love Jesus to do that. Amen? I mean, you really got to have something inside of your heart to want to go out and talk to others about God. I mean, I think that, to me, is a true mark of a Christian. So I want you to now open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start using all these things that I've given you in just the next few moments. So it's good to see everybody here. And I think today is going to be an awesome service. Let me know when you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 by saying, I'm ready. All right, you guys are fast. Yeah. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, it says, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Everybody say, Woe to me if I do not preach. All right, that's going to come into play today. 
Verse 17, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntary, voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, so not to make use of my rights in preaching it. There's so much in that text right there, I could just keep us here all day. The first thing that we learn is that Paul says he must preach and he must do it voluntarily. And if he doesn't do it, he says, woe unto me. Now, you know that's not an expression of joy. You don't say, woe unto me when you're happy, okay? What he is saying is, if I don't preach, I feel bad. I get depressed. I really don't like the way I feel when I don't preach. That's what he's saying, woe unto me. It's like he just lost his dog. It's like he just lost a loved one. It's like he just got fired from his job. He's saying that's woe, trouble, sorrow comes to me if I don't preach. Now, do you have that heart? Do you have the heart that says, woe unto me if I don't preach? Or have you been quite all right without preaching? Do you feel pretty good about yourself, even though you don't like to share God's message? And today we're going to talk about how well you've been sharing God's message. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, we don't need you sharing his message. What we need you to do is come and hear the message. Amen? So don't be trying to put the cart, the cart before the horse today. It's okay. We're not expecting you to go out and preach and start waving around signs that say Jesus loves you and if you don't accept him, you're going to hell, even though we will never do that. But we're not going to ask you to join some cult, okay? First thing we want you to do is get saved. So if you're not a Christian, we're expecting you, first of all, to embrace the message, okay? But for all those here who have already embraced the message, would you just say amen? Okay, I'm talking to you guys. And then hopefully those who have not yet embraced the message will understand how important it is to us and they'll be inspired as well. Well, I want to give you today 10 excuses that I've heard over almost 13 years of ministry on why people do not want to preach the gospel. On why people do not want to preach the gospel. I'm not David Letterman. This is not going to be really funny, okay? But it is going to be a top 10 list. And I think we're all mature enough to handle what God has to share with us. Can you say amen? Because I want you to hear all of the excuses I have heard over 13 years to why people do not evangelize. Evangelize means to go out and preach the gospel. Now, I want you to look at Metro Praise specifically operating in two seasons of evangelism. It is the cold, wintry season and the spring, warm, summery season. Now, we've been having the cold, wintry season hang on for quite a bit, right? I think we're ready for it to go, and we want the warm, summery season to come. Amen? Last night, standing out on Belmont and Clark, we're looking across the store that uh, was selling all these spring clothes, girls, uh, you know, shorts and these blouses, and I'm saying, why are we not wearing that? Specifically, I would not be wearing the blouse, but just why am I not wearing shorts and enjoying spring weather? Are you with me? Two seasons. So one season has just officially passed because now we will be starting the spring and summer season. The winter fall season was going out at 6 p.m. to Belmont and Clark. Real quick right now, I want you to think to yourself, how often did you go? It met every single week. There was only one Saturday 
out of the whole crazy winter we had, and we had some like mini blizzards, we had some like minus 40 degree windshield weather, there was only one Saturday, it was like minus 20, that my wife had to talk me out of going out there on the streets. And it wasn't for my sake, it was for the sake of the people out there. She was like, if you stop and talk to them, they may get hurt. Don't stop and talk to them. The, The newscasters are telling them, stay inside, run to shelter. Every other Saturday, every single Saturday, starting around the fall season, was November to last Saturday. We only missed once. It was every Saturday. How often did you go? How often did you go out and share his message? How often did you do that? Now we are starting a new season. It is the spring season, and hopefully spring weather will meet us in the spring season. And we're going to be going out to Ohio Park on the first and third Saturday, which is on the west side over here, okay? And we're going to be preaching to the community over there. And then on the uh, second and fourth and other Saturdays, like the fifth Saturday when there are some, we're going to go to our various parks around here, Reese Park, Portage Park, and so forth. Now, let's go through these excuses, and let's see if we can get you there. Can you say amen? The first excuse that comes into people's hearts is, I have to do my laundry. Yes, this is an excuse. This is, this is not the top five excuses, but this is right here, one of the top ten excuses. I have to do my laundry. Now you might say, Pastor, that's kind of strange. Explain that to me. Okay, I will. Here's how it works. We call up somebody, hey, Bob, are you coming out evangelizing with us tonight? No, I have to stay home and do my laundry. Then next week, hey, Bob, are you going to come out and preach with us? No, I have to stay home and remodel my house. Hey, Bob, are you going to come out with us Saturday? No, I have to stay home and remodel my friend's house. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. I have to do my laundry. With that blank piece of paper that I've given you and a pen, I want you to fill out number 10 for me. List all the things that come before evangelism. List all the things in your life that you feel are more important than evangelism. Now, right now, you can see this is going to start stepping on toes and maybe bothering some people. So it's time for you to get over it and get honest, okay? Right now, put what comes before evangelism. Just be honest. Going out with my friends, having coffee, doing work around the house, getting new clothes, ironing and ironing in those new clothes, going out and wearing those new clothes, right? Gossiping and talking to people on the phone while they're jealous of my new clothes, okay? Put all the things that come before evangelism. And then I want you to turn with me to the scripture, Luke chapter 9. And let's see what God says. Let's see what Jesus Christ says about evangelism. Now, today I'm not trying to be sarcastic, though some of it may sound sarcastic. Please do not take this as belittling. I'm not trying to belittle you. You are all adults or young adults, and we are not trying to belittle you. We are speaking to you as adults, but I really want you to look at how have you done. There's no more karaoke scripture, so that's why I want you to have a Bible today, because I want you to follow along. Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Let's look at this scenario. Jesus is walking. He's doing ministry. And he says to another man, follow me. Now, where is Jesus going when he says, follow me? He's going to preach. That's what Jesus did. How many things Jesus preached the gospel every now and then? 
How many think Jesus probably did his laundry first thing in the morning so he could go out and preach later on in the day? Hey, let's be honest. He had to do his laundry. I don't think he was walking around stinky. I don't think so. He had to do his laundry, guys. Let's be honest. Jesus also had to use the bathroom. He had to eat. He also had to, you know, to do other things, buy toothbrushes or whatever they use for toothbrush, okay, proper hygiene. All right, so where is Jesus going? He's going to go preach. That's what Jesus does. He says to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What? Hold on. This is not even Jesus saying, hey, you've got to go do laundry. No, I think preaching comes before that. Proclaiming the kingdom of God is another word for preaching, by the way. He, he didn't say, I have to go do my laundry. The man said, my father just died. I have to go to a funeral. I think if there is any excuse to miss a Saturday, going to a funeral for your own father probably should be number one. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Arrange that funeral for a different time. No, no, no. You don't put that before my kingdom. You don't put that before preaching. No, your funeral is not more important than going out preaching. List all the things that you think come more important than preaching. This is all the reasons some of you have missed Saturdays. Take, for example, last Saturday, yesterday. Why did you miss? What was so important? What, what, what came so much important for way, way, well, what came so much more ahead of gospel preaching? What was, what was like your to-do list? I have to do this, 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 and this. And, and yeah, every now and then there's this real quick announcement that comes up on Sundays about us going out on Saturday. So like really, if we went through your to-do list like yesterday, it was probably like, like number 498. And probably like 497 was do my laundry. It's probably that real lame thing. Like, ah, you know, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And if I get some extra time, I'll do this. And this, for some reason, if I had nothing to do today, I just might go preach. I mean, if there was nothing, it's like the whole world shut down. If the laundromat was closed, if the bank was closed, if the mall was closed, if all my friends' cell phones got shut off, then maybe ding, 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 ding. Oh, there was an announcement. I was supposed to go evangelize. What comes before evangelism? That's excuse number 10. I have to do my laundry. Let's go on to now excuse number 9. Excuse number 9 is going to come up real quick on the screen here. It is, I will next week. Pastor, I'm going to go next week. Pastor, I promise you, man, I'm going next week. Now the week goes by, Pastor. Next week. Yeah, next week. It's like sometimes with, with, with people here, I want to like sit down and go, does next week mean to you never? Should I translate the sentence, next week means I'm never coming? I'll come next week. Insert never. I'll never come. Am I supposed to hear it that way? Because many of you have said, I will come next week, yet next week has never come yet. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself, and I want you to list all the times you missed evangelism. So for all of you here that have come to this church since about November, or really any time since then, and you embrace the message of Christ, I want you to list all the times you missed. I'll wait, because it may be a while for some of you. Some of you are not writing. You think I'm playing with you today. (laughs) Yes, sister, the Lord needs to come. Oh, my God is right. He needs to come. 
uh, all of April, all of you know, going back, all of December, all of January. Oh, I think I came that one time. For, when, I, when we sang Christmas carols, I came, Pastor. Okay, but list all the times you did not come. Come on. Your pastor loves you. <laughs> We're going to learn today. You see, today I'm sitting down here with y'all. I'm not going to sit up there and preach and, and get all excited because I think sometimes in my excitement people are amening and they don't even know what they're amening about. It's like, amen, pastor. What did she talk about? I don't know, but he's sure getting excited. I'm excited. Amen. Walk out of here. How was church? It was good. What did you talk about? I don't know. It just was exciting. I said amen a lot. No, today we're going to walk through this message. We're going to digest it. Mm, the Bible says the word of God is like bread, water to our soul. It feeds our soul. I'm still waiting for all of you to tell us how many times you missed. As you're doing that, open up your Bible now to James chapter 4, verse 17. Pastor, I'll come next week. And by the way, at the end of this message, I know there's a lot of wonderful people here that are going to want to try to come and explain every time. Listen to me. You don't have to come and explain anything to me. Please don't. Please don't come and say, well, Pastor, you know, I wanted to come this year, you know, all those Saturdays, but I had this, this, and it. Please, just, just don't. There's no reason to. A, you don't do it for me. And B, it's too late. Just, just, just repent before God. We'll have time to pray today. Repent before God. Those of you that want to come and reiterate to me that next week you'll be there, just don't do that. Just come next week. Just come. Those of you who have big things going on on Saturdays and for some reason it's just life will not go on unless you do what you have to do on Saturdays, just know that we're praying for you to come on Saturdays. We, we love you. We welcome you to the congregation, okay? We're not going to have like an ID check at the front doors next Sunday. Hey, did you come on Saturday? Oh, you can't come to church today. We will welcome you. We love you. But just know that you really owe me no explanation, okay? Just know that. I'm just here to pastor and set the example, and this is now between you and the Lord. If you, however, choose to want accountability, if you want someone to remind you, if you want someone to, to ask you the, the following Sunday, if you did not come, why did you not come? If you want that, find someone next to you. Find someone next to you. Find a brother or sister. Because I, I don't have time to call you up and ask you why you weren't there and hear the story. That's just being honest. If you need that, I'm sure there's someone here that will make time for you to do that. As a leader in our church, they will make time. Uh, turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 17. If you're there, can you say, I'm there? Amen. Now let's read about the excuse of, I'll be there next week. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So if you knew in your heart that you had to be there next week, if you made a plan in your heart to be there next week, and you did not come, you just sinned. Now you might not have kicked the dog type sin, You might not have molested a child-type sin, which we know is bad, evil sin. But nonetheless, you just sinned. You sinned. You knew the good you were supposed to do. You knew that this church was teaching you to evangelize. You knew that your children were going out evangelizing. Gilbert has never missed a day of evangelism since we started evangelism. Let's give it up for this young man right here. Amen? And that's why the Lord says the kingdom of God belongs to the children. Maybe 
We'll get to some of the excuses of why you think he can do it easier than you. But nonetheless, he did it. Some of you did not. He did not miss one. If you knew in your heart, which every Christian should have known, to be there, and you actually even said those words next week, when you did not come, you sinned. That means today there needs to be repentance. And all the times you've missed, you need to repent over. Lord, I'm sorry for, and I wish we had a perfect memory because we would really need to, to do this. Lord, I'm sorry that November 30th, that Saturday, God, I went out and I hung out with my friends and I didn't come preaching. God, I'm sorry, December 2nd, that my wife and I, we just stayed at home because we had a busy work week and we just watched our favorite TV show. God, I'm sorry that, you know, February 12th, that God, you know, I, I planned a night out with the fellas and we just went and watched some uh, college basketball. Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. Lord, I repent to you because I know I was supposed to do good. I know, Lord, I was supposed to do good, and I did not do it. Can you say amen? Let's move on now to number eight. I am not called to those people. Oh, yeah, those people. Yeah, what we purposely do in this church is go to those people. Yes, we we purpose on that. I look at the map of the city, and I say to myself, where are those people? The gay and lesbian community. The ones that the church says, those people. Oh, yes, we love those people. And then when we go out to Ohio Park, we love those people. We love the 14-year-old young man that thinks he just joined the Vietnam War and has more firepower tucked down his pants than the, than the state police. We love those people. We love them. I remember the first time I was approached by a prostitute on Cicero in Ohio looking for a church there, and she solicited me into prostitution. I remember saying to myself, I love those kind of people. Those are my kind of people. You know why? Because they don't try to come to church and pretend to be somebody they're not. They, they don't want to try to teach me how to be a better pastor. See, I have religious folk come into church all the time and want to correct me, and they get so easily offended. See, I just love those kind of people. Because they're already just showing us they don't care what the world thinks. I'd rather get around some of those kind of people because then they, they become a Christian. They, they didn't care what you thought about them before. They sure ain't going to care what you think about them now. Hello? Oh, there's those people. I want you, number eight, on that blank piece of paper, list all the people you're not called to. All the people that you're not going to preach to. I'm not going to preach to gay and lesbian people because they make me feel uncomfortable. I'm not going to preach to high school students because they're just high school students and they're crazy and hyper. I'm not going to preach to Ohio Park and Cicero because they're African American. Because some of them in that community, of course not all, but some. Stand on corners with alcohol in their hands. And even worse, some have drugs. And I'm not called to those people. I'm not called to the people on my corner right here, long in diversity. Those kind of people. I'm just not called to them. I just want you to list all the people you're not called to. Just put it out there. Come on, be honest. Don't pretend you're in church now and you're going to be all sanctified and holy. Oh, I love everybody. Okay. Well, how many uh, transvestites did you hug last, last night? Yeah. Yeah, how many, how many people out there going into Boystown did you love on? 
I hugged two lesbians last night, told them I loved them. How many people did you hug? When was the last time you actually even shook hands with a guy that's a gangster? Oh, I did last night, my cousin, <laughs> my brother. Well, if you have someone in your family, that doesn't count. I'm talking about people you ain't related to. When was the last time you just hugged a homeless guy? You, you think your cotton is too nice to rub against their cotton? And I'm not talking about ladies like lavishing love on homeless men. That would not be right, okay? Saying, according to gender, according to what is appropriate. When was the last time you hugged a homeless person? Hey, man, we love you. My church is here for you. My pastor will help you. I love you. I see you in front of my grocery store every single day, and I never stop and talk to you, but today I'm hugging you because I love you. When was the last time you did that? Those people. I'm not called to those people. You know what's so funny is that there's some people in this church that haven't won any souls. They haven't discipled anybody yet. But yet every time my wife and I approach them about different people that they can reach, they keep telling, oh, I'm not called to those people. I I would join that ministry, but I'm not called to those people. Oh, I would go out there and and serve in that community, but that's the wrong community, Pastor. Oh, really? Well, then maybe you need to find another church that reaches the type of people you want to reach because that excuse is not working here. Maybe you need to go to a church that reaches those kinds of people that you want to reach. And then when you get to heaven, you can find out the truth that God loved all types of people and that when he sent you here to this church, he wanted you to reach the people that we were reaching. Period. You don't have the right to come here to a church that is established by pastoral authority and tell us what we're doing wrong and the people we're reaching. If this is your church, you are called to reach the people we're reaching right now. One day we may go to nursing homes. That's what my parents do in in their church. But today we don't go to nursing homes. We go to certain communities because I feel that is where we belong right now. And that is where I feel you belong. I want you now to look with me to 1 Corinthians 9.19. Somebody say, it's good. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Man, I feel good. Man, I hope you feel good. If you don't, we'll get you saved. And if you're already saved and you're not feeling good, we'll get you sanctified. That means we'll get you more saved. We'll get you believing this a little bit more. Get rid of the junk in the heart. Verse 919. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Man, look at Paul. Paul was an awesome soul winner. Paul loved souls. And by the way, if I, I just feel like right now I need to pause and give the value of a soul. The Bible says that one lost soul, one soul, is worth more than the entire world. So Augie, this this man right here, Jesus Christ says, Augie is worth more to me than this entire world. All of its gold, all of its splendor, all of the resources in this earth. Augie, his soul, his eternal soul has much more value than this whole earth. How do we determine value in America and in the uh, Western world? We determine value upon the need, supply, and demand. What is someone willing to pay for gas right now is what these oil companies think. If you're willing to pay $4, they're going to keep jacking it up to $4. If we're willing to pay $5, they're going to bring it to $5. How many know there's enough oil in the world, but there's people controlling it, and they're charging us a whole lot for what they have a lot of? Are you listening? So the value of something is based upon supply and demand. Jesus said, I want Augie so bad, I'll die for him. I'll pay the highest price. The Son of God said, I'll leave heaven in all of its splendor to die for him. 
One soul is worth the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about here evangelizing, we're not talking about Jehovah Witnesses knocking on doors, being annoying. We're talking about people with the love of God saying to people on street corners and in public places, I may be a stranger, but I value you like Jesus, my Savior, values you. I want you to know I value you. You are valuable to me. Everybody get it? Say amen. Thank you. First Corinthians 919, Paul, who had told us earlier on that he was a soul winner. He said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Please look at what he did to win souls. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave just to those who have lots of money who pay me for what I do. Is that what he said? Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave only to those of my same race and color and economic status. Though I am free, we'll go on for a while, okay, so I enjoy this. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave only to those who speak my mother tongue and language from the country I am from. That's another excuse coming up, by the way. I don't speak English. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave only to straight and heterosexual people that I feel comfortable with. He says, I make myself a slave to everyone. Everyone. And as long as there are everyone's out there wanting to look like lizards, you ever seen the lizard man? He cut his tongue. He put on green tattoos. He bulged out his eyes. You ever seen lizard man on TV shows? He's like a little thing. As long as there's guys like lizard man out there, we're called to love him because he's part of everyone. If there's people in our world that believe they were born the wrong gender and they're somewhere stuck between both of them now, hello, we're going to love them. If there's people right now that think it's okay, like I said, to arm themselves like the U.S. military and sell crack cocaine on street corners, they're everyone. We love them. If there are mothers today out selling their bodies as prostitutes, we love them. If there are people right now that own million-dollar condos and they're walking down Michigan Avenue going out to eat to spend more on one meal than we make in a month, they're everyone. We love them. And we let them know We value them. Paul said, I do that for everyone. Now look at his example, verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Jewish people were religious people. So Paul would get around them and he would talk the Bible, quote in the Bible, say it the way they understand it, talk about the law, talk about the feast days. He knew how to get down with religious people. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though though I myself am not under their law or the law. So as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so I might win those not having the law. A lot of laws in there, but here's the basic line. He said, those who understand the principles of the Bible, I come to them and I use that as an example. So when we're on the street and we talk to people, did you go to church last week, Easter? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible? Yeah. Okay. How are you doing following the law? Then we preach to them. How are you doing? And most of the time, they're not doing very well. So Paul said he would use that example. But then he says there's people that are just so far out there from our perspective that they don't even believe there's a law. And these are the people who say, hey, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe that book tells me what to do. Now, Paul says, I become like them, yet not to break the law. So Paul doesn't say, okay, when I preach to the guy drinking, I just say, hey, pass me a a Bud Light, too, and let's hang out. No, he says, okay, that's where you start is Bud Light. I'll be in front of your bar next week. You don't have the law. You don't respect the law, but I'll be there. You want to go to the club? 
you're obviously not coming to my church tomorrow, Paul said, so I'll be there at the club. Do you all understand what Paul is saying here? To those that were Jews, I became like the Jews. To those that had the law, I was like them. To those that had no law, I was like them. Here he says it clearly, verse 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. To do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I go out to Belmont and Clark. I'm going to try to become like them. I'm going to try to communicate like them. I'm going to try to speak their language. And I'm going to try to reach out to them by the hopes of all means possible that they get saved. When we go out to Ohio Park, we're going to become like them. We're going to be around them. We're going to learn what them is like. Maybe some of you are them. When them from Belmont, uh, Ohio Park come with us to reach them out here, maybe you're not Polish, maybe you're not Latino, then them need to learn how to reach them. Does that make sense? Because everybody can always look across the track and say, those people. African Americans could say, I'm not called to reach those people, talking about white people. I live down in the South, and let me tell you, racism went both ways down there. Though, of course, we know it started with the evil and atrocities of the white man. I'll take that blame. But it still existed on behalf of African Americans. And many Latinos here, you may say, well, I don't have to reach those kind of people. Because maybe you feel white people. It's always going to be the white people, I think, by the way. (laughs) Maybe you don't feel you're called to reach them. And, you know, we all said jokes. It's okay. We live in a cross-cultural community. It's okay after you went to the Polish deli if you go back in your car and giggle a little bit about how they had a funny accent and all that. Because, you know, as long as we don't make fun of people, we, we can laugh about differences. But you know what? I think some of us have gotten to the point like we really, we really don't think they're worth our time, those people. Write down all the people that you're not called to. Number seven, let's move on. I want you to talk about I have to work. That is the next excuse. Pastor, if I do not go to work on Saturday, the economy of the greatest country in the world, America, will fall. The economy of America will fall. If I do not go to work, I will become, if I don't work on Saturday, Pastor, I will become homeless. I will be living on the street. I will be one of those people that you have to hug and love. I will become one of those people. I want you, because we know why we work. We work for the treasures that those things give us. Nothing wrong with treasures. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. Hallelujah that I do not live in the roach-infested house that I first lived in 12 years ago. I thank the Lord that no more roaches for me, though there are some spiders in our basement. But I thank God and those who are still dealing with roach-infested houses. We love you and pray for you, and we hope that God blesses you. But be happy with what you have. But let's just talk about all of our treasures. Number seven on a separate sheet of paper, list all the earthly treasures that you have. My house, my car, my clothes, my jewelry. I don't have any treasures, Pastor. Now, come on. If you don't have any, just let me have whatever you're not calling a treasure. (laughs) You really don't have any, then let me have that car then, because I'll call that car a treasure. My Xbox, my PlayStation 3, my video games. Come on, young people, be serious, be honest. All of our treasures. Oh, aren't they so treasureful? Some of our treasures are so treasureful that we have to insure them. I have treasures in my house that I have to insure. I have renter's insurance. My 65-inch TV, I don't want anybody to touch it. I mean, unless you're there to hang out, I don't want anybody to take it with them, you know. The place that I live right now, you know, 
Lawndale and Potomac right there in the hood. Uh, uh, there's this broken down fence that I have to go to to my apartment, and my wife wants the, fe- the fence to be fixed. I'm like, no, I don't want the fence to be fixed. Let them think that this house is, you know, not good. Let them look at the outside that this house is junk because I don't want them to think that we're balling up in here, that we got the 65-inch and all that. So let's list our treasures. Let's list all of those treasures. And then turn with me in the Bible to Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Let's see how God views those treasures. Pastor, I have to work. I got to work. They, they, they put me on the job. Pastor, I got to work two shifts. Morning, noon, and night. 24 hours. If I don't work, the economy crashes. If I don't work, I don't have a house. If I don't work, I can't buy my baby boo some new clothes. I can't get her hair and nails done. If I, if I don't work, I can't get my own hair and nails done, as my wife would say. But now let's look at how God views those treasures. 619, if you're there, can you say I'm there? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Wow, so that shouldn't be my priority. And where thieves break in and steal. So uh, I guess that 65-inch TV is not really supposed to be my treasure in God's eyes, huh? Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy Where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Can you and I get so attached to the things we're working for that now these treasures is where our heart is? We have to be careful that treasures do not take our heart. You might say, Pastor, treasures... Do not take my heart, then come on Saturdays. We'll see you Saturday then. Oh, but, 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 uh, uh, no, no buts. My mom always used to say every time I was getting grounded and punished, I was the butt machine. But mom, but mom, but, 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 but mom, please, no, please, my friends are going out and doing this, but mom, please. And she said, you just be a little butt machine, but, 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 but. She said, but I never gave way. You were grounded. Listen, God says this is important. But, 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 but. You know what I think we need to do? We need to get our big old butt out the way. We need to get our big old butt out the way and let Jesus take over. But, but, but. No, no, get your butt out the way and just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, you gave me this job. You're you're controlling my finances. That one day that I work, it's not worth me getting out of alignment with you. This is important. I go to a church that values these things. My prayer every day, my request to the boss is going to be give me favor so that I can have this time off. Give me this time. If they don't give me that time, I'm praying that God then opens a door for a better job that gives me that Saturday. Yes, would I even, would I even suggest career change? Absolutely. Why would not your career support your church activity? Unless you think that church activity is way below your career. Unless you think it goes, you know, my priorities are my family, my career, my friends, my 65-inch TV, the car that I buy. And then all these treasures we all list. And then way down here, it's like, evangelism. I'll go out. Maybe do something every now and then. Do you know that right now, I saw this on Dateline, there is a group of people called the 10 percenters. They're not Christians. Matter of fact, I don't even think they like Christians. I think they're kind of like these people that just really don't like religion or Christians at all because they kind of seem that way. And they kind of seemed like in the interview they were sticking it to us, and I think they ought to have stuck it to us because they're called 10 percenters. 
They are the baby boomer generation. There's about, about 250 of them now, and their number keeps growing. And they went to colleges, and most of them have quite a bit of money. And they began to realize that as they were living in the suburbs, you know, like Naperville and all of that, that life was just empty. And they really didn't feel anything. And they started this club called 10%, which means they would only live off of 10% of their income and give the 90% away. And they were interviewing these people. And they were like married couples. And they said, you know what? We don't want to live in the suburban house anymore. We took a one-bedroom apartment. We live off of $1,200 right now. We live here in the city. And we give the rest of our income to projects and things we value in life. One couple said, we have funded a whole youth center in the inner city. By our 90%, we have just funded a whole youth ministry, a, a center rather. They bought a building. They have uh, the, the classes. They have all of the job opportunities. And they found careers that would, would work with their desire to go out there and do that. And, and people have asked them, you know, how does your boss and, and people react to, to people giving you know, your time away and your money? And they said, you know what, our bosses and the people of our community, they enjoy this. They value our heart to serve. So that means you're, you know, you're a police officer, and sometimes you've got to go to your youth center. Yeah, they'll give me off. They value what I do. Matter of fact, they said some of the people that we talk to begin to look at us and say, I want to do it too. And that's why the 10 percenters are now growing. Now, what type of a lesson does that give us as Christians? If people in this world are saying, we value so much the distraught, the hurting of this people. One goes, another one comes. Amen. Isn't this something? We value hurting people. How much do you value them? Remember, treasures? It's what you call a treasure. Do you value $10 an hour Saturday over Jesus and souls? Is that what you value? Be honest. Put all the things that you consider a treasure. Now let's go on to number six, halfway through. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Amen. I have to help my child become a pro athlete. Oh, yes. You know the excuse I'm talking about right now. I want you to list all the things your children can do instead of evangelize. I want you now to share with us, being honest to yourself, on that white piece of paper, all of the hopes and aspirations your children can do other than evangelize. I want to help my child, Pastor, become a professional baseball player. I remember growing up, and my mom would say it to me very simply like this. These are the days we go to church. You will be here these days. If your club, your Powell football, if your St. Joe Little League does not conform with those days, you won't be there. So there's no misunderstanding. You will be here. You'll be here Wednesday. You'll be here Sunday. Any other conflict, when it's church event, you're telling them, I won't be there. I think America has let our children's sports run their life crazy. Be free. Get free. What in the world? I look at child sports, children's sports, and they are now like minor league baseball players. They have like tryouts. They have like, you know, like drafts. 
They have, like, their own uniforms and, like, matching outfits and announcers calling their names. I just remember playing for the Wildcats, you know, just a hat and a shirt. We all had the same, and it was just come out to the ball diamond and just hit the ball, run around, and, and that guy who just volunteered for the day was your coach. I'm looking at fourth graders right now who have already been drafted to the high school of their choice because a, a scout has drafted them. Oh, you're coming to Von Steuben, boy. I, I got you lined up. Oh, and don't even talk about when they get to high school. Oh, my gosh. Oh, high school sports is God. I mean, just 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 take that baseball, paint it gold, put it in the middle of your living room, bow down to it three times a day, cast all your money before it, and kiss it, because that is an idol. Oh, pastor, is there anything wrong with playing sports? No, it's just never the priority, though. The, the chance of your children becoming a pro athlete is like winning the lottery. People do win the lottery, and yes, people do become pro athletes, but the great majority, 99.99%, do not play. So let them do what the sport was intended to do. Just play. Just play. Go out and have fun. Play to win. Go to practices. But you won't be going on Saturday, or you will not be holding me back going Saturday. If you don't want to bring your children with you, because guess what? And I love this type of a talk because it really makes you think, and I'm glad I'm not shouting because I go so fast sometimes, but when we go out to Ohio Park, guess who is in that park? Children. Oh, and I would love to hand the mic right now to Evangelist Peyton and to have her tell you mothers what she thinks about your attitude if you don't think your children are good enough to play with her children. We don't have time to pass the mic off and take that whooping, church. We do not have time for that. Oh, my children aren't going out to Ohio Park. Oh, then your children have some problems, and so do you. Oh, yes. Yes, you don't want to hear her talk about what it's like. No, 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 no. We better get over that. And if your children just have to be there on a Saturday and they're parenting you, we'll, we'll, we'll try to give you some grace. But you better not let them keep you from doing what God said. Let's turn to Luke fourteen twenty six. If you still love me, can you say amen? <laughs> well, I told you this was going to be a good day. I might just preach it next week for those who are missing today. This, this might just be a repeat of this next week. Oh, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. I could just imagine like next week, you see the stool right here, and you're like tapping your neighbor who wasn't here last week. You better get ready. He's not going to shout a whole lot, but it's going to be tough today. It's tight, but it's right. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me Cannot be my disciple. Number six on your blank piece of paper, I want you to list all the things your children can do instead of come evangelizing. All the things your children can do. They can go to birthday parties. They can watch rated R movies. That just blows my mind. You won't bring out your kids to Belmont and Clark, even though, yeah, that can be a little dangerous, but we do it safe out there. It's it's quite safe. But you'll let your kids watch rated R movies, kids, uh, people getting hacked up and all that. 
You'll let your kids go to so-and-so's house, your cousin's house. They're drinking and smoking in the house. They cuss in the house. And you won't let your children come evangelizing with us. Or you put their sports before God. Be honest. How many things can your children do instead of evangelizing? You know the list goes on. There's so many. And I just wish today that we just had a panel of guests that would not be embarrassed. And they could just represent that attitude. I wish, I wish today we could have that parent up here that sits next to you on the sidelines when they're watching their kids play. Because you know that mom would tell you everything that their kids need to do. I mean, no, they got to be at tryouts. They got to be here. They've got to do this. And then we got to do the parent, uh, the parent meeting with the coach. And then, and then I got to get them in this camp because I want my kids to become a professional baseball player. You know, so they got to go to the camp for kids that want to become professional baseball players. And yeah, that's all we got to do this summer. So yeah, let me think. Maybe I might come to church sometime in August when all that's done because there's a two week break before we start soccer season. And then we, you know, then the soccer season comes up. Y'all know I'm being really serious right now, even though I'm kidding, right? Because it's really like that for a lot of people. And that's why we pray for them. And we pray for you if you're struggling with that. All right, let's go on to number five. Number five reasons why I can't go evangelize. I don't speak English. No habla, uh, or no habla inglés. I don't understand. Oh, and I love that we have people here of other ethnic groups. I'm glad that my mother and father-in-law came from the motherland of Greece and have brought to me my wife, Makia Tikanis. I said, hello, how are you? May I kiss you? And then I'm glad that my forefathers came from Poland. You know, Yakshamash. I'm glad that they brought over my father so that they could meet my Italian mother and become married and have amore. I'm happy. Pierogies for everyone after church. Okay, I'm so happy. And I'm so happy that America, we can have black, white, pink, purple, and all of the languages attached to that. But this is an English-speaking church. One day we will have ministries to other languages. But right now, if this is going to be your church, we want you to go out ministering with us. And so use whatever bit of English you got, baby, because it's time to go. If all you know how to say is hello, stand next to me. You'll do the hello part. I'll do everything else. If all you can do is shake your head when they ask for the free hot chocolate, you just hand out the free hot chocolate and just say, I'm praying for you. Sign language works. I love you. Just to the homeless person. They may think you're a little crazy, but just start right there. And then if you want to live in our country, if you want to be a citizen of our country, English is our language. And I think you being in an English-speaking church, it will benefit you. You will only be better for it. If you learn to speak our language well, you will be able to get better jobs. You will be able to get more accomplished in buying and selling of your home and your car. You'll be able to negotiate really good is what I'm saying. I want you now to list all the reasons why you can't talk about Jesus. This is a new country for me. Or I'm not good. And maybe some of you who don't use that English as a, as a language problem, just you know all the reasons why you're not good at talking, maybe. I'm shy. Some of us, English is our first language, but we don't, say, we don't think we speak it very well. So list all the reasons why you don't think you speak well enough English to say Jesus loves you. <laughs> Tell us why you don't feel you speak well enough English to say, may I serve you? May I serve you? Can I do something for you today? Can I take your child and help her? It's a lot of sentences right there, but we'll just start off with, I love you and I'll serve you. 
And then guess what? Obviously, if you're sitting here right now, you understand me, so you understand enough to go out there. But just list those reasons. As we turn to 1 Corinthians 2.1, this will encourage all those who also deal with being shy. 1 Corinthians 2.1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And I do not say this mockingly, but if that word is a word that you don't understand, in English, eloquence means beautiful speech. I think some of our young people needed a little help with the dictionary today, right? Eloquence. Beautiful speech. Young people, you may not feel that you have beautiful speech. But Paul said, I didn't have it either. I didn't come with that. I didn't come trying to enunciate words a certain way and and sound really intelligent. I didn't come really trying to impress everybody. Listen to how much I know. You know, like quoting Shakespeare, to be or not to be. No, he says, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Verse 2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Does everybody know Jesus? Does everybody know Him crucified? Then that excuse has been dealt with. Amen. Oh, I said that excuse has been dealt with. Amen. Verse uh, verse 3. Look at Paul in his honesty. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. You ever feel embarrassed when you're going to talk about Jesus? You ever feel kind of afraid? Paul felt that way. Yeah, Paul felt that way. You ever feel like your words just don't come out right? And you're talking about Moses building the ark? Took you, some of you a little while to get that one. Yeah, I'm serious, right? That's what people say, you know, Moses built the ark and, and he's, God used him to save everybody. God wants to save you. And you're like, oh man, I messed it up again. Man, Moses didn't build the ark. He was, in the, he was the one in the lion's den with the, with the three lions. <laughs> right? Paul said, I come with fear. Man, I was afraid to do our little Easter play because I knew there was a lot of visitors here. And I knew there was going to be a lot of opportunities for us to preach the gospel to them. Man, I was afraid. There's many times I go to other neighborhoods and I'm just like, you know, I don't know the people. Like, like Ohio Park, not that the, those people bother me, but it's just I never met anybody there before. So when I start meeting people, I'm shy and a little bit. Believe it or not, it's like I feel that way too. It's like, oh, I don't know if they're going to like me. And, you know, maybe I'm not going to say the right things. I, I want them to understand I'm here to help. I don't think I'm better than them, et cetera. You know, so all those things go in my mind. Paul said, I, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Verse 4. My message, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Come on, the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on the power of God. There was a gentleman that has a property, a storefront, because we're looking at storefronts right now to possibly do some creative things throughout the winter. We're already thinking winter time, winter evangelism for the adopter block in Ohio Park because we lost all winter with them. And so there's a lot of inexpensive storefronts there, just a little paint, a little couple chairs in there. We could do wonderful things in that community. And I was meeting a, an owner of one of those stores, and he was a very nice gentleman, and we were spending some time together. And he instantly recognized me, and he said, oh, are, are you that pastor that goes out there and is with the community? I said, man, that's me. He says, man, that's so powerful what you guys do. 
That's so awesome. Wow, I came out there in fear and trembling. I came out there like I am walking in somebody else's neighborhood that the police quite don't feel comfortable in themselves. And, and I'm just here walking up to the fence where they're dealing drugs. I'm walking up to the guys doing the mechanic stuff before I even knew Charles. And I'm like, man, what are they going to think about me? And here this, this bystander who I never personally shook his hand said, hey, man, that was powerful what you did. That was powerful. And, and we've had evangelists many go out to uh, uh, Belmont and Clark with us. And, you know, there's all these young adult college students. And, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, how would they react to the grandma, you know? Because she's so sweet and nice out there. And I know they can get so dirty and just vulgar. But, like, the first time she's, like, hugging them. And, like, tears are coming down some of these young people's eyes. And they're just saying, you touched my life. Now, I mean, I'm saying if, if a grandmother can go out to Belmont and Clark and feel comfortable in God's power, I mean, what's our excuse with our words and our lack of education, etc.? Let's go on now to the next one. Number four, I am tired. I am tired. You see, as they get more up to the close, they get a little bit tougher, don't they? I'm tired. I want you, number four, on that white piece of paper, list all the reasons why you're too tired to win souls souls. I'm about ready to share something with you that, honestly, David Jr., you have no idea how much this impacted me. I came and told my wife last night, like literally, dude, like I wanted to cry. Like if I was a crying man, like I feel like I want to cry more, but sometimes I can't. You ever, you ever meet people that just cry all the time? Like I wish I was more of a crying man because it would really like show like I'm feeling things, but I'm really not a crier. But if I was a crier, man, I would have cried like a small schoolboy. We are working on this like wee hours of the morning. It's like 4 or 5 in the morning, yesterday morning. Because we're working 15 hours to build this thing. And David looks over at me and he says, can I go evangelizing tomorrow? And I'm like, well, we may need you to finish this project And he's like, but I want to go evangelizing. This young man had already spent hours, lost his sleep with the privilege and the honor of him building something for everyone here to enjoy. And he was saying to me, don't take that privilege from me. You know, let me come back and finish. I'll I'll stay up even later and finish if you'll allow me. He was asking for permission if you'll allow me. To go evangelizing with you. I want you to list all the reasons why you're too tired. List all those reasons. Just all those reasons. You got a big day coming up the next day. Well, that would be Sunday. It's kind of my big day, I guess. But I'm out there, so maybe it's big for you. Maybe you got to warm that seat really good. And you've got to be good and smelling right for your neighbor. And i got to get ready. I'm going to church Sunday. I, 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 can't, I can't lose my energy. It was funny because uh, Araceli, she's back with the children, but uh, I was hanging out with these guys, and I was asking them to come spend the night on a Saturday night, and Araceli was like, no, pastor needs his rest. And I was trying to explain to her, pastor don't go to bed till like 2 or 3 in the morning, so that's how pastor rolls, but that's okay. I felt like that was a nice gesture. Yeah. That's me. That's your pastor. Hey, I, I do what I got to do. But what's your reason? Why are you too tired? List all those reasons. And let's turn to our scripture of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Pastor, I have just built 
the bridge that spans across the entire Atlantic Ocean. I have just stayed up, Pastor, for the last seven days planning the next mission to the moon. Pastor, I have just stayed up raising 30 children. I mean, that's really what it sounds like when people give me their excuses. I mean, the excuse is so big. Pastor, I am so tired because I just got done carrying my car up a mountain and fixing the tire and then carrying it back down the mountain. That's how people tell me the story of they had a flat tire and why they couldn't come. It was so hard, a flat tire. Oh, and then I just couldn't get that one lug nut off, and it was hours and hours and hours. And I had to rest the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I, I can never do anything again until somebody calls me to go out to eat and hang out with my friends. But then, but then just magically from heaven... I think I can fly. I know I can touch the sky. Think about it every night and day. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, we're so tired. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I am having fun. That's why we're staying until 2 o'clock today. Amen. It's like, (laughs) no, that wasn't funny. Galatians chapter 6. Looking at verse 9, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap good, a harvest, if we do not give up. So don't give up, my tired soldier. Don't give up, my weary rock climber with a van on your back, taking care of all the children of the world, building a house with toothpicks from scratch. Just get up. You can do it. You really can. I'm telling you, you can. I know that you can. We have a staff sergeant here from the military. I'm sure he will show us what our bodies are really capable of. I mean, when they feel like giving up after that 120th push-up, that's just the beginning. Right? I mean, we can go further. We can go longer. And if we do it right, we will get rest. It, w- it will be okay. God uh, created our bodies to do remarkable things with rest and sleep. And if, if we're good and if we're, if we're right, we can make it all happen. Amen? Let's go on now to the next reason why we cannot evangelize. I am not ready yet. I'm not ready, Pastor. I have yet to get my master's degree in theology. I have not yet met Billy Graham And he has not yet appointed me to be the next great evangelist of Metro Praise. I have not spoken tongues and led people to Jesus ever before. Let me give you an idea of where that might all happen. It might just happen on the streets. Pastor, I feel when I am perfect, when I no longer sin, and I can walk across Lake Michigan and meet you there, I will then come evangelizing with you. That's when I'll be there, Pastor, when I no longer sin and I am 100% perfect in God's eyes and the world. Then I will preach to everyone. (laughs) That's what people say, I'm not ready yet. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you say, Pastor, I'm just not ready. I, I can't go evangelizing. 
What are you waiting for? Jesus told Peter, come on, I'm going to make you a fisher of men starting right now. Today, we go. We go now. We don't wait. We go now. He took the guy from tax collecting. Matthew, get up and let's preach. Come on. That's how you learn. That's what you do. Anybody ever heard of an apprentice? You don't, you don't come. We have guys that are apprentices here like, like Andrew and Adolfo. Adolfo didn't go to his school to learn to be an electrician, you know, flipping around his little electrical gun going, hey, I could put the whole lights of the Soldier Stadium together in five minutes. He came there going, what does this tool do? You told me to come to the first day of class with this thing. What do I do with it? And he was trained. And then he is trained enough now to put in our lighting. That's it. You start right now. You take the, a bit, the little bit of knowledge that you have and you go right now. Here's the first bit of knowledge that I'm sure all of us have. Jesus loves you. That's the message you can share to somebody else. Jesus loves you. And you could, you could like spend the rest of the night trying to convince them of that. No, I don't think he exists. No, he really does exist. And he loves you. Well, I don't think God can exist because, you know, it doesn't make sense. Can God lift a rock bigger than himself? Be like, well, even if he could, whatever, he would still love you. And that's just the point. He loves you. You get what I'm saying? Just God loves you. He has a plan for you. I came to share that with you. I want to tell you you're valuable. I want you to look at uh, Jonah, chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah wasn't ready to go to Nineveh. He was not going to go. He wasn't ready, Sister Evangelist. He was not going to go. He, he said to the Lord, Lord said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And you know what Jonah did? He packed up his bags and he said, I'm going to Boca Raton, Florida. And I'm going to have a vacation. And I'm then going to go to a conference down there. And I'm going to learn all the steps of the gospel. And then when I'm ready, I'll come. And I can't find Jonah myself. Without using the table of contents. I don't want the page number. I'm already embarrassed. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm forgetting books of the Bible. (laughs) Here he is. There's Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. If you're there, can you say I'm there? And I just passed it up. Small little book. One page. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, God says to go to, uh, to Nineveh. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus, which was like, you know, like, 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 a, like a vacation place, like a spa. Like He's like, no, I ain't going to go there, dude. I'm going to go to March Madness. I'm not going to preach the gospel. Uh, he was supposed to go to Tarsus, rather, but he headed down to Joppa. That's the place where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying that fare, he went a, a, aboard and, and sailed for Tarsus. To flee from the Lord. You know what you're doing while you're saying that you're not ready? You are fleeing from the Lord. You are fleeing from the Lord. He said you're ready, and I think he's the boss, right? If he says you're ready, you're ready, right? Now, let me just interject this right here, because a lot of people think that they entered the Joe cult, where Joe writes the Bible before you get here, and he inserts scriptures just to make his point, and then he redefines what Christianity is, and then so what people can go home, and this would have been another funny one, but I didn't, I didn't think it was a top ten, but it's definitely one It comes up a lot, like, that's your way, Joe. That, that's, that's just the way Metro praise does. I, you know, I don't do it that way. I think being a Christian, I can be another way. For all those people that think that way, Jonah thought that way. That's exactly what Jonah thought. Because back then, they didn't have a Bible like they walked around with that told them to go do stuff. Like God had to talk to them individually. 
And you see, all I do is read you the Bible. That's all I do. I put a little little comments on every now and then, a little funny. You know, I try. Sometimes they're a little scary, you know. He comes pretty tough. But all I'm really doing is we're just reading the Bible, right? Those of you who just think, oh, no, that's just Joe's way. Jonah actually said that, but he wasn't even putting it on a man. What you're really doing is doing just what he did. You're putting it right on God. You're looking at God saying, that's God's way, and I'm not with God's way. I want you to list right now. Number three, all the things you must do before you're ready. Tell us what you must do. Tell us the degrees you must accomplish. Tell me all of the tongues of angels you must speak in. Tell us all of the goosebumps that you must feel before you go. Tell us about all of the prayer meetings you must have before you go. Tell us about the spiritual treasure chest hunt that you are on looking for your golden treasure of a, a power like, oh, pastor, I must pray. I must become so spiritual before I tell somebody Jesus loves them. And then you ask them, like, what do they do for a living? They're like, I, I sell clothes. You know, like I work at Menards or, or, or you know, I'm, I'm a helper. And I'm like, do you have to pray for three hours before you go out to, to your, your customers? You go, how may I help you? Do you have to go out there and go, Jesus, 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 give me the words, give me the words, give me the words. God, I'm not ready. Train me up, guys. Train me up. Come on, manager. Or you just go out there and say, hello, my name's Gary. I work at Menards. How may I help you in this department? You're ready. Stand out there. Jesus loves you. How may we help you? We are the church. We love Jesus. We've come to meet with you. Number two, I am too old or too young. I want you now to list all the reasons why you either feel you're too old or you're too young to do things for God. I've had people tell me, I feel I'm too old to help out in the youth group. Really? Really now? (laughs) Jesus himself said, I love children, but you're too old to be around children. How does that work? Tell me how that works. Pastor, I, I am too young to go out. And, you know, I would even love to, like, kind of razz my youth a little bit here, but my youth have been doing a great job soul winning. They've been doing a great job. But if there's ever one of them here that says, I am too young to go preach the gospel, then you know that is not true. Because you're not too young to pick up an Xbox controller and save the galaxy from all those bad, evil aliens. You're not too, you're not too young You know, to watch American Idol and to make the next pop star of the world. You can preach Jesus. I want you to turn with me in closing. I'm moving quickly. There's only one more left. 412. First Corinthians, or rather, first Timothy 412. I'm glad that we've had some laughs today because I think a little sugar helps the medicine go down. Amen. But I hope that every one of you are sensing the seriousness of what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy 4.12, if you're there, can you say I'm there? Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in your speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're old, because you're young, because you just got saved, because you're pregnant, because you want to be pregnant, and you've been praying your whole life to be pregnant, and it still hasn't happened. That's okay. Don't let anybody look down on you, baby boo. You will be pregnant one day. And you just go out and preach anyway, okay? That ever becomes a problem. If you want to stay home and make babies, we still got to go preach. We do. We can do that and then preach and then do it again. 
Amen? Because we got to have some babies. Hey, I'm getting a little personal here. That's okay. White lights are on me today. I'll talk about it. List all the things that people have told you. You're too young. You're too old to do. I remember one time we were at Belmont and Clark, and I wish, Evangelist, you would have been there, because as we were there, this wonderful elderly couple walked by, and they were just, you know, giving us the, the good job, guys, because, you know, they were Christians. And then I, and I said, hey, why don't you come out and stay with us, you know, hang out. We're too old, you know, because they saw me, yeah. And they saw me, and they saw our youth, and we're too old. Can you just imagine that? Can you just imagine People saying, I'm too old to help you. I'm too old to care about you. That's really what you're saying. You're saying as a young person, if you're, say, if you're believing the lie, you're too young, what you're really saying is you're too young to help people. And no, you're not too young. You can help people in your faith. You can help people in your purity. Everything we just read here, look at it again. You can help people in your love. You can help people in your speech. You can say good things. Those of you who think you're too old, like, for some reason, like, we're a young church, and you just think, like, this radical Christianity is just young. I think maybe you're getting confused because I was the first one, really, that you know to see do it. And I am young, and you're confusing that with being young. That's No, that's not it. I just am doing the gospel. There are people twice my age doing the gospel, and I call those my heroes, okay? I'm sorry if you came from a church where your pastor wanted to set up a cathedral for himself, and it was all just about him sitting on a big chair up here and him saying wonderful things, and you going home, and that's how you looked at a pastor. Now you see a young pastor, and you're like, well, you know, he's radical because he's young, but then one day he'll be old, and we'll all come up there and kiss his ring, and, and then he'll drive a Rolls Royce, and we'll just, you know, we'll be that type of a church. No, we'll never be that type of a church, because when I'm too old, my son will wheel me out there, amen, and stand on my wheelchair and preach for me. And I'll say, you tell him, sonny, you tell him that we love him. And I'll wheel, he'll wheel me around and I'll just say, come on, son, bring me out down there to Ohio Park. I got to see some of those grandkids now. Amen. I got to see how they're preaching now. Praise God. I want you to know that God will use you at any age. And lastly, the biggest excuse, and I know that this one comes up more than anything else, I just don't have enough time. Number one, list all the other things. It's a typo. List all the other things you'd rather do than win souls. All of the other things. Because the bottom line is, I just don't have time. Rachel, would you come? You you may love people. You may have many good intentions. But in your heart, you're just saying, you know what? I just don't have the time. Let's turn to our last scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I thank God that he brought you here today. And that you've heard this message because I think it is as clear as clear can be from the word. Ephesians 5, verse 15. If you're there, can you say, I'm there? Amen. It says, be very careful then how you live. Everybody say time management. Right there, God gives us the command through Paul to be managers, stewards of our time. We are commanded to be in charge of our time. There are three things that will test your maturity and your discipline in life. How you handle money, how you handle your time, in how you handle your weight, your physical body. 
Those are three areas that will always test your maturity, your discipline, how you will enjoy life, how you manage your time, how you manage your money, how you manage your health. If you manage your time right, you'll make time for the things of God. You'll be at peace. You'll make time for the things in your family. You'll have a blessed family. You'll make time to pursue a wonderful career, and you'll be blessed at it. And Paul is teaching us right here in Ephesians 5. He says the most simplest words, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The moment we started today's talk and I said that winter fall evangelism is already over. Some of you probably did what I did when I thought about it. Man, time went by fast. And I asked you, how many did you go to? And it's like, man, I was planning on going next week, but I guess it's already over. And it just flew right by. Those of you here that are like myself and you're in your 30s now, man, when you were in your 20s, didn't 30s look old? Come on. And those of you in your 40s now, I mean, when you were in your 20s, didn't that look old, etc.? You know, didn't, didn't far off? Like, being married looked a long way away when you were a kid, and now a lot of us are already here. We're married, parents. Guys, heaven may look a far way away, but it's closer than you think. Before you realize it, you and I will be having this message from Sunnyside Acres, and then after we're done, a nurse is going to roll us back to our beds. I'm so serious. My mother and father go to the nursing home, and, and, and they just say, these people never thought they would be here. There's, there's just never a time in your life where you're just ready to die, unless you're suicidal. There's just never really a time when you just say, okay, I'm, I'm ready now. You're always in your mind thinking, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to go here, i got to do that. And we're not understanding that we got to be very careful with our time. Because time is the one thing that you never get back. We'll never get back these two hours we've been in service. Two hours and ten minutes, twelve minutes and counting. You'll never get this time back. Did you invest it well? Are you glad that you came? Amen. You'll never get the time back that you spend at your job this week. Is that the right job? When my parents go to the nursing home, there's one bed here, one bed there. They share rooms together. You may have a man right here that played professional baseball. Next to another man that was a construction worker. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, when you're, when you're at the end of your days, if we all live long enough to see the end of our days, you and I and, and the cross-dressers, the lesbian, whatever, we're all going to be next to each other. And it's not going to matter how big our house was, how big our TV was, how big their parties were, how much money you and I made. All we're going to do now is get ready to meet Jesus. That's it. And the question is going to be, like you heard in last week's play, did you use your time wisely? Man, if you don't enjoy the job you're in and if it doesn't support the church that you're a part of and the ministries that you want to do here, then you need to find another career. And if that means you take a pay grade, take a pay grade. Enjoy life. Those of you here that, you know, that wish your families would have been different, that you wish your children wouldn't be born in a single family home, whatever, You know, 
You need to make the best of what you have now. Stop waiting for a husband to come into your life. Stop waiting for things to change. You need to enjoy life now. Because you'll never get to that place where it becomes all perfect. And the number one reason why I see people, they don't want to win souls is because they say they don't have enough time. But my argument back to you is you don't have uh, time to waste. You say, I don't have enough time. I'm saying you, you don't have time to waste. Why aren't you coming? Because this is going to be valuable in heaven. This is going to be what you rejoice about then. This is what you'll talk about on that bed next to that other person. Because you're going to talk about the people's lives you changed. I mean, that's just the honest truth, guys. And I hope as a church we can understand that and that you all join us out there. Would you all stand with me, please? Josh, would you grab the garbage that is over there and move it to the front here, please? You remember that white piece of paper you've been writing on the whole service? You've been writing about the things you put before God. You wrote about all the times you couldn't make it to service or to, I mean, to evangelism. You talked about the people that you weren't called to reach. Thank you, brother. You said that you got to help your child become a pro athlete. You put on that paper about all the different reasons why you don't speak good enough English. Maybe you're not smart enough and eloquent. You, you put on there about how tired you are because, you know, you've been carrying the van up that mountain to change the tire and build a house out of toothpicks. And you talked about how you're so young and you're so old and, and all of that. And you put on that paper that really you just don't have enough time because even if all that happens, you still didn't have enough time to do it anyway. That piece of paper today, I think, needs to go in the trash. And I think you need to start over again. As spring comes to Chicago, and you start looking over at at flowers begin to bud, and, and, and trees begin to bud forth their leaves, I want you to specifically remember this message that the church is going to another place. That moms and dads, that the Torres family, that... One and the Rodriguez family, that Dave and Araceli, we're all wanting you together to do something great for God. My wife and I are looking at each one of you saying, hey, now is the time. A girl my spaced me and said, let me know when we can bring our dance group over to do some evangelism at your church. I wrote her back on MySpace, quote unquote, when? She said, let me know when. I told her, when? It's now. Come now. Come next week. Come Friday. Come, come any day you want. We're ready. That's your pastor's heart. That was Jesus' heart. It's not a heart of hastiness, like running out, not knowing what you're doing. No, it's just saying, i got to make time now. Because if I don't make it now, something else will come up. And then something else will come up. And that's how you got to look at it today, saints. Metro Praise is saying, now, 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 Aurora, get up and go. This is the time. Because if you think it's going to come next week, the next week, you will come back here six months from now. And I'll be sitting on the stool saying, now that summer season has passed, here we go again. And you're going to count all those times you've missed. Let's do something great for God. Let us make a mark on Chicago. And one day, it won't just be Saturdays. And one day, it may arrange better with your schedule. But as for right now, this is the word for you. Make it a priority. When we show up next Saturday at 12 p.m. in that community, you meet here first. But as we go out there, I want them to know that Metro Praise values them. We love them. And that we've come to make a difference. This is the choice you have to make today in closing. And thank you for your patience.
Thank you for your patience. Here's the choice you get to make today. You either take that piece of paper and in prayer today, because we're going to end in prayer, you come up and you just throw it in the trash and you start over with God. It's not about you and me. Like I said, it's not like you coming up to me explaining. No, you don't have to explain to me anything. I love you and this is the vision. So there's, there's no reason to explain. I love you. This is the vision. If you want to do that, you're going to throw that away. The second thing, if you don't want to do that, I don't think you would really then follow these instructions, but I'm going to give them to you anyways. What I would like you to do is go home. I'll buy you the plaque if you don't have one, a little picture frame, and then put that on your wall and say, this is and these are my idols. Just put it, put, just take that piece of paper. If you were honest today, you would have things on it. Frame it up and just put my idols, my car, my house, my family, my pro athlete son, me fixing flat tires in the middle of the pouring rain. All of this. These are my idols. It's your choice today. I want to put anything that gets in my way in this trash today. Because when I look at all the beautiful faces today, it's worth it. And it was worth Sue Ellen going out there to get Melissa and her friends just to stay for 10 minutes. I don't care how long they stayed. They heard the gospel because we went out there and got them. And I look at the Adopt-A-Block, and the Adopt-A-Block has adopted our family, and now I have friends and family from Ohio Park, and it's like, man, this is awesome. I wouldn't have felt right if y'all wouldn't have been in my life. I was missing something. I knew God had to have me meet some new people. And now together, we're going to reach out there together. And we want you to come to this community and reach people with us. Preach to my family as we preach to your family because we got to do this together. And all of you young people, it's time. Amen? That's all I got to say, young people. Friday night, we had almost 80 students. And I'm going to tell you there's only one reason why we had that is because the young people understand this better than a lot of the adults here. But the Torres family, George and Isabella, I want you to take over in this adult ministry and start challenging these young people and show us what a mom and dad can do when they get on fire. Amen? I want David and Araceli to show us what happens when moms and dads and and business owners get on fire. Show us. These young people have shown us that they'll go in front of their schools. They'll have in low take carts and all of that. I want you guys to show me, David. I want you to show me you leading people to Christ like how you lead in finances. I want you to show me the leader in you, man. Show me that leader. I want you to show me that God had brought you here for a reason. And I know that. And Legia, I want you to use all your giftings from all the experience of your life, all the different places you've traveled. I want you to fill this whole aisle, this whole section with people that God uses you to testify to. Because it is time. Let's pray and then you can make a move to come to the front after the prayer. And then we'll dismiss. Father God, we thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, none of us is above this message. So I start with myself and I say, Lord, check my heart. Even though I couldn't write as we went along, Lord, check my heart. Because any junk in my life that gets in the way, I want to throw it in here. And God, now I pray that all those things that we wrote on those papers, let us give it up today, Jesus. God, let us give up those things, God, that get in the way. And Lord, begin to bless our lives. God, we don't do it for the blessing, but we know you'll take care of us. You will because you want to bless us. Oh, Lord, we stand in the valley of decision. The line has been drawn. I pray, oh, God, the congregation will follow me. 
as I throw it in the trash and I live for you. If that's your heart today, we're going to open up the altars, come to the front, throw it away.